This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 476 with Peter Mudabazi. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 476. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Peter Mutabazi is an international advocate for vulnerable communities and children. He is a regional manager for World Vision, a keynote speaker, and the founder and creator of Now I Am Known. He believes every child and young person, especially the forgotten, neglected, or abused, deserves to be celebrated, seen, heard, and known. Peter is a single dad who has fostered 13 kids and adopted one so far. When he's not speaking or advocating for others, he enjoys running, skiing, spending time with his kids and his new puppy Simba. So Peter was introduced to me through a past guest, David DiGiorgio, and oh my goodness, this was such a special conversation. Peter has a story and a life journey that is just going to blow your mind and open your heart in so many ways. So buckle up, grab a tissue. You are in for such a treat and a really powerful conversation. Listen in to hear Peter share his experience growing up in an extremely abusive family in Uganda, how he ran away at age 10 to live on the streets and never returned home, his relationship with his mother, what that's looked like over the course of his life and what it looks like today how the kindness of one stranger changed the course of his life and helped him see himself as a human being for the first time, what inspired him to start fostering children, how he ended up adopting one of his foster children in spite of trying to not get attached to the children that he fosters, how he connects with and holds empathy for the biological moms of the children he fosters, and the importance of being known, especially if you've been forgotten. This is such a special conversation. So just thank you, Peter. When you listen to this, know how much I treasure this. And I'm so grateful for your story. And for everyone listening today, you are in for such a treat. Please welcome Peter to the Shameless Mom Academy. Peter, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. As a shameless dad, we are so happy to have you here today. Oh, well, thank you. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here and to share a little of my story. So thank you for allowing me to truly be with you and your, with your listeners as well. 
I'm excited. I have to tell people how you were introduced to me. So a guest who was on the show a few months ago, David Giorgio, he sent me an email and said, hey, would you be interested in interviewing my friend Peter? Here's a little bit about him. I didn't even have to read the whole email. I was like, yes, absolutely. I want Peter on the show. So thank you so much for joining us. And you have to tell David, thank you so much for making the introduction. Absolutely, I will. I will tell him. So can you tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio? And what are you most excited about right now? I know this pandemic, I mean, it's <laughs> everyone has their own pandemic journey, but I think yours has been particularly special. Can you share a little bit about what you're excited about right now and how the pandemic is, how you're getting through that? Yes, absolutely. I'm excited about that. I can be there for, you know, a little boy that needed a place to be. And it's been really wonderful that, you know, as a foster dad to have a, you know, usually when they come, they go to school or they go to daycare, but we didn't have anywhere to go. The only option we had was stay home. So it's really been neat and exciting to know a kid that quickly because we couldn't go anywhere. So it's been a joy to get to know him and his family. You know, as we're in the hole, like literally just staying at home and, and being a teacher from nowhere, you know, I think if I went back to grade one, I would fail badly. <laughs> you know, so he's been teaching me and, and it's truly been a joy to see him be part of our family. So that's what I'm excited about right now in life. I love this. So let's fill people in a little bit. You have a son who you adopted through foster care. And how old is he? Uh, he just turned 14 last month. He turned 14. And then you are fostering another boy, correct? Yes. Yeah, so during the epidemic, you know, basically we were in quarantine and I got a phone call from the social work saying, hey, we've got a little boy that has nowhere to go. And, you know, would you mind taking me? And I'm like, We've been quarantined for three weeks. I mean, do you know where he's coming from? You know, do you know? I was a little bit worried. Yeah, that's a big ask in a pandemic. <laughs> exactly. But then I thought about the nurses, the doctors that are walking in danger, like literally know that where they're helping, where they're going to work, it's in the middle of the chaos. Like for me to say no, it just didn't seem right. And two, you know, to know that most homes are closed fostering that for them to call me this is really imagine that I had to say you know what it's between life and getting sick I will save a life mm. and so we took in a seven-year-old and it's been a blessing to have him oh my gosh I love it and what a great way to expand your heart in the middle of a time that is really big and heavy and hard Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I've had 13 foster kids. You know, you get to learn, you know, that these kids have absolutely no, it's not like they have choice A and B. They have no absolutely opportunity to have a place to go home yeah. or to, you know, or even to be loved on during the difficult time when they are taken away from their parents. So I could not say no. Yeah. Yeah. So you just said you've had 13 foster children and tell us how, over what time frame, how long have you been fostering? For three years. Oh my gosh. So not very long. Not at all. No, not at all. Oh my goodness. So 13 children in three years and you've adopted one. Yes. You know, so I, yes, I adopted one. You know, usually they come and, you know, it's not, it's really a blessing when they go back to their moms because we know they have moms that love them, but they're going through a difficult time. And I think for me, when I signed up, I, you know, I understood what foster means. Foster means to be in place or to hold a place for the parents while they are sorting themselves out. So I understood that, that my job is to be there when the parents cannot, but when they do come back and do the best they can to have their kids, that I can say, sure, here are your babies and a blessing to have them. So this particular one that he came when he was 11, I didn't have anyone that wanted him. So, mm. yeah. And he's been with you now for two years? Yeah, for almost yeah, two years, yes. Amazing. Let's back up. And can you tell us your relationship with your mom growing up? And we'll, we'll go back to the beginning. <laughs> yes. Oh, my mom. So I grew up, I grew up in Uganda. I grew up in the most abusive family you could think of. So at the age of four, I began to realize that not only were we poor, but I had the the most abusive dad. So mom was the only one who was there to take care of us, to give us the little she could do. You know, we could barely afford a meal a day. So she would spend 12 hours in the garden, you know, just growing crops or working our job so she could feed us. So mom was our only, how do I say, protector 
the only human being that we knew had the best for us. But yet she had nothing. Like she had to depend on my dad. But at the same time, she was the only one who gave us a little glimpse of hope in the midst of the, the worst. So, but two, you know, the abuse that I got from my dad also went towards my mom. So as a little boy, you know, to grow up, to see someone you love that much that you cannot protect. Or sometimes she would get abused because she asked for a book that you asked for on your behalf. That was really, really tough. But two, you know, she's really been our shield. She's been our protector. And she's been all that I, I can say that I had. The values, the principles that I hold today, the relationship that I truly had from my mom. Mm. Did you and your mom stay in that family? You're obviously in the U.S. now. So did you stay in Uganda and did you grow up in that family the entire time or did you and your mom leave at a certain point? So, no, so I'm oldest of five. So at the age of 10, I could not take the abuse anywhere. So I decided to run away. I had never been 20 miles away and I would run away 500 kilometers away. <gasps> So I ended up in Kampala and became a street kid. It was the only option I had. You know, I think in a way I ran away because I thought, I don't know if I needed to end my life or I thought my dad does not deserve to see my dead body. Like I hated him that much that I'd rather go die somewhere else than die, you know, in his hands. And so, you know, so I left at 10 and I never went back, but I knew how that hurt my mom, but also knew that she knew I was looking for a place that I didn't have to be, you know, abused by my own father. So, yes, so she stayed up to this day. She's still married to to my mom. You have to understand in Africa that, you know, life is different. You know, women sometimes are considered as second class citizens. And to see that that's how my mother was treated was really difficult to take, difficult to understand, you know, for one human being that loved us the most that she was treated that way. And she didn't have the resource to, there was nowhere she could go. There's no, no place, nowhere she could go. But she protects us the best she can. Did your siblings stay with your family or have they? Yes, I'm the oldest. So they were younger, way much younger than, you know, when I ran away. Okay. And are they still in Uganda then? Yes, they're in Uganda and Rwanda. Okay. So they're doing well. They finish university uh, and they, they have jobs and have families as well. So everyone's wondering how a 10-year-old, first of all, everyone who has a 10-year-old is just gasping because they can't imagine their 10-year-old running away and building a life for themselves, because that seems like a very big feat. So how did you go from being this 10-year-old who's on the streets to now being here in the U.S.? Absolutely. So on the streets, you know, we learned as street kids to always help people. So we, we work or we would earn to be on the streets. In other words, people would use us for cheap labor or abuse us, but it was the only way we could survive. And so I lived in Kampala where we would steal food. We didn't steal money or anything, but we would, you know, steal food while we are helping people. It's easier to help someone and take one banana and then help another one and take another banana. By the end of the day, you can't have all gathered enough to eat. So while doing that, I think I'd been on the street for about four years, you know, so I helped one family and they gave me something to eat. So I saw them the next week. They gave me something to eat. They didn't abuse me. They didn't see any evil things towards me. They were just kind. So I saw them over and over. And almost after a year, they said, hey, Peter, if you had an opportunity to go to school, would you like to go to school? And I said, yes, but it's not like I said yes because I wanted to go. No, I think for me, I knew if I say yes, I get food. So, you know, I said yes. But really what I was saying, I was saying, yeah, just give me food. I'll go away. But I think they listened. So they said, hey, we really want to take you to school. Remember, they had fed me for almost a year and a half. So I had built a little trust towards them. So I said yes. And I said yes, not because I wanted to go to school. I wanted to be someone. But for the first time in my life, I was always treated like an animal. I was always treated like a, a stray dog. So for them to see me in the midst of as a street kid, dirty thief, to see a potential, to see a kid and they say, hey, you matter. We would like to help you. I couldn't say no because it was the first time in my life that I think I saw myself as a human being that I didn't see before. So, Oh, my goodness. So I went to school and I did well in school. So, so they became my family and I managed to go. Through school, I went to university. I went to university in Uganda. I went to school in England. And then I got opportunity to come and work and 
and study in the United States. So that's how I got here from the kindness of one stranger who didn't know who I was, but yet said, you know what? I don't see the dirt. I don't see the streetness life in you, but I see a little kid that had a potential. And so that's how I managed to move from the streets of Kampala to living here in the United States. And I've been here for 16 years. Wow. And you just said that it was the kindness of one stranger that changed everything. And here you are fostering children and being that same person to them that this other family was to you. Absolutely. You know, I, you know, I think for me, yes, uh, when I came to United States, I could not understand, you know, how we could have so much, but yet know that there are kids in our neighborhood and not do something. And I was like, I have to do something. You know, I, I think I've had, you know, my family, my foster family, you know, they, he would use this word, too much is given, much is required. And I, I could not understand what, but, but then... Once I arrived in the United States, I really understood that too much is given, much is required, that I'd been given so much. I have a family, I've gone to school, I'm well educated, I have a good job, that it was time for me to be accountable for others as well. So, uh, you know, I didn't know about foster care, but I just walked in the foster agency. I said, hey, do you have kids I can mentor? You know, they looked at me and they said, have you ever thought about being a foster dad? I was like... Well, I'm single. And the lady said, so I was like, well, you take single men can be false friends. I signed up on that day. I just wanted to be the same as that family did for me to help the kids and, you know, and to comfort their moms as well. I understand the difficult you go through. But, you know, if I can hold them for you while you clean yourself is all I can do the way they did for me. Yeah. Are you still in touch with your mom? Yes, absolutely. So once I went to university, I really wanted my siblings to do well. I knew the only option I had for them was education that no one can take away. So I put them in school. They went through university and they're doing well. So I had to go back to protect my mom in some way, but also to let her know that, hey, mom, I'm okay, And I'm grateful that you got to protect me, that you didn't have to do so. But because of your care and love that you taught me to survive and, and to have value in life and have principles that matters in life that she taught me for sure. So yeah, so we have a good relationship. I get to see her often as well. Nice. So talk a little bit about why you wanted to become a foster parent and which I think you've already touched on a little bit, but then also what did this look like when you started? And I guess I should also ask, how long have you been in the US? I've been in the US for 16 years. 16 years. Okay. And you started fostering three years ago? Three years ago, yes. Okay. So talk a little bit about that getting started. What did that look like? And was there something that like really inspired you to start fostering? And what did it look like when you've kind of in the early days when you first had like your first placements and those kinds of things? So I was traveling with, uh, you know, big CEOs, you know, who have lots of money in Africa, you know. So while we are on the trip, you know, one of them showed me a picture of their little one they had received. So I was like, wait, you're white, you received a black little kid. How does that work? So he explained to me like their families who the kids in the foster care system who have been there due to, you know, the different reasons, abuse, neglect, and name it all. And I was like, well, you can't. So that really, he planted a seed in me that I really wanted to do. But my job, I traveled all over the world that I could not do. So I had to quit my job in order to be a foster dad. So, yeah, so that's why I waited a little bit longer. So, you know, finally, I really signed up and had four months of training. And I, you know, had a house where I had to make sure it was kid friendly, not adult friendly. Mm -hmm. And then I was nervous as a wreck, you know, waiting. waiting. And I didn't know, you know, I think when I signed to be a foster parent, in my head, I thought, you know, the marginalized are usually African-American or Native Americans or the Hispanic. I had no idea that it's all kids of all corners, you know, that I was shocked my first child was, you know, (laughs) they walked in the door. I was like, wait, what? Are you in the right home? Uh, That I realized just how wonderful, but also uh, just the need these kids that they don't choose to be born in those farmers it's not their choice that they are where they are their parents are that if i can be there you know if i can be there while they need someone to be there for them was the greatest thing i think i felt because i didn't have to learn it you know i had lived it i had seen it felt it every day as a kid that someone who did not know me took care of me and made everything possible he could to love me and feel that i was safe at home Mm. 
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. How did you go from fostering to adoptive? And you kind of already mentioned that I know in the foster care system, the goal is always reunification with the biological family. And so are there times when people who work with the families will say to you, like, this child might not be able to go back or this child might be able to move into an adoptive placement? Or um, did you know when you first met your son that that was an option? Or is this something that kind of evolved over time and with as that relationship shifted? Uh, no, actually, it was strange. So I had had 10 children and they had all been reunified or adopted. So most of my kids were, you know, I knew where they were going in the next six months, you know. So, you know, it was a Monday. So the two siblings had gone back to their parents, which I really was amazing. The mom, how she'd worked so hard to have them back. And, and it was just a joy uh, to see that reunification. So they had left on Monday. Then I get a phone call on Friday. Usually when they leave, I mean, to have a child for eight months and say goodbye, it's it just leaves you. They're going to the greatest place you want them to be. But at the same time, humanly, it is really hard to say goodbye. So I think I was really down and just in pieces. You know, that one thing I was trained about, mm-hmm. no one told me how hard it is to say goodbye. You know, <laughs> you know so, uh, so I just needed a month off. So I said, you know, I need a month off to just recoup and rethink through and energize myself and get back uh, so I can be fully, have a glass full to be able to be there for kids. On Friday, I get a phone call from a social worker. Like, oh, gosh. <laughs> like, like, Peter, please, we know you're going to say no. And we know you said you can't take him kids for the next four weeks. But would you take in this 11-year-old boy? You know, I said, no, absolutely. No, they said he's in the hospital. He has nowhere to go. Please, just for the weekend, I will pick him on Monday. This is what I said. I'm not kidding. I said, okay, I will. But if you don't pick him on Monday, you'll find him on the porch waiting for you. That's what I said. Oh, my gosh. And I can already tell from our few minutes of talking that you would never actually do that, that that is not in your heart. Of course, <laughs> no. Of course, it was more of a threat. Like, okay, if I'm serious. so You need to have some boundaries. <laughs> Yeah. So at three in the morning, he was coming from a different, you know, a different county, you know, so he arrives 
So when he arrived, before he arrived, I never asked why he was in the system, why he was at the hospital, because I didn't want to get attached. I think I had been touched too, and I think I was, I was still bleeding. I was still crying, you know, that I didn't want to know more because if I know, then I'm going to be attached. So, but I didn't ask. So as soon as he walked in, in the house, because it was at three in the morning, the social worker had to leave quickly because she had to drive home two hours. So I told him, hey, here's your bed. And he looked at me and said, hey. I said, you can call me Mr. Peter. And he looks at me, he's like, can I call you dad? I'm like, oh, no, 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 you cannot call me dad. Oh, my gosh. Foster kids don't usually kind of call you dad that quickly. You know, you have to earn it. It takes a while. But for him to say dad, I was like, I don't think it's appropriate because you're living on Monday. And then he looks at me and says, well, I was told since I'm 11, I can choose who my father should be. So I choose you. Oh, my gosh. Yes, Sarah. I said, uh, no, let's wait until Monday. So finally, Monday comes and they come to pick him up. As soon as I signed the papers, because I knew once you sign the papers, the kid will go. So then I asked the social worker, I said, so why is he in? Why was he left at the hospital? And he looks, she looks at me. She said, hey, you know, he was put in the system at one year and a half. He was adopted by the family that took him in at one year and a half. And they just left him at the hospital and they never came back and they never said goodbye. A family he'd been with, so he's 11 and he's been with his family since he was one and a half and they just dropped him. Yes. Oh my gosh. Nine years and they just left him in the hospital and they never said goodbye. And I mean, I looked in his eyes and I just said, like, who does that to a human being? You know, I know there are ways this happen that we have to that return the kids. I could not understand how you can be rejected three times by your own parents but the ones that adopted you that I, I could not understand why but also I felt like I was doing the same because I had signed the paperwork to mm-hmm. let him go so I told the social worker I said please I'll take him in he knew I'll be his dad as soon as he walked in he said dad you know and of course I asked is there any other family that can have him you know they said no he has no family so right there I knew I'll be his dad so so that's how I became his dad you know for you know, forever dad but really I didn't know I didn't prepare for but it was really a, a God moment that somehow he looked at me and he said you know I want I want you uh, to be my dad forever and so it's been a joy oh my goodness what a story and he and so you had not previously considered that any of the children that you foster would potentially become adoptive children no because i knew yes i knew they were being unified the parents, which is i think for me what i love that, that it's really neat when their moms get their kids back or those who were in the process of adoption but you know they're adopting parents were still you know being uh, going through the system or being preparing for them yeah that that's the kids that I, I got to have yeah wow so now your son has been with you for his two years two years yes so the adoption was final in November wow and what has that been like oh you know of course for us because you gave them the first day and you kind of assume that dad role that you know the paperwork comes at the end you know but really that you know he, he's been my son from day one and nothing has changed i think for me changed when i went to pick him up at school the, after the adoption because they called him by my last name and i'm like wait what <laughs> <laughs> he has my last name oh my goodness you know so i think that's where i got emotional yeah um, and he's a good kid he's an amazing smart kid kind sweet i just i don't know what happened you know, again, I've had 13 kids. I've seen all the experiences through every child, the trauma they go through. He, he's he's a good kid. Yeah. You know, amazing, good kid. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And so after you adopted him, then were you also continuing to foster or did you, has it just been the two of you until recently? Till, till your quarantine fostering? <laughs> Yes. So usually after adoption, they want you to spend a little time for him to feel that he belongs. You know, he will never be like go in somewhere since he had gone through that. So I could not have another kid until six months later. But I've always wanted to have more kids. Even now, you know, I would love to have four if I could. Mm. So once the opportunity came, I couldn't say no. I had to take him in. And, you know, and it's been wonderful for him to to learn and grow uh, and see just how amazing his dad is, but also just the opportunity he has to be the example to the little one. Yeah, oh my gosh, that's so special. This episode is supported by my very own Purposeful and Profitable Podcasting Workshop. So this is a two-part workshop series that is coming up 
on September 29th and October 6th. And if you have been thinking about launching a podcast or you have a podcast that you want to grow and monetize, this is for you. So I'm actually teaching this workshop series with two other podcast experts, Nikita Burks-Hale and Rachel Nielsen, and we are going to help you bring your podcasting dream to fruition by helping you see what is possible and giving you the skills and the knowledge and the expertise to make it all happen. So perhaps you have a message and a mission that you wanna share, but you're not quite sure how to get it out there, or you're worried that no one will listen, or you just have no idea how to start from scratch because you're not tech savvy, or you're worried that you don't know how to make money doing this, that's all the goodies that we can help you with. These are the areas that we excel in. Between myself and Nikita and Rachel, we have your back and we have a ton of podcasting experience. I've been in the business for five years. Rachel and Nikita have each been in it for a while themselves as well. And we each have our own areas of expertise that we're gonna be bringing to this workshop series to make sure that we can meet all of your needs no matter where you're at. So here's what you're gonna learn during this workshop. You're going to learn the exact steps to prepare for your podcast launch. You're gonna learn the 12 crucial lessons that you need to make before launching. You're gonna learn how to build a launch team. This is a formula I've taken tons of people through who've launched shows. So you'll build your launch team so that you have a built-in audience before you even launch. Then you're gonna learn how to use your most authentic voice to have the most impact. Nikita's gonna be helping you with that. You'll learn how to build community around your show and how to prioritize diversity and inclusion in your show. You are also going to learn how to grow a large and long-term audience of raving fans. This is Rachel Nielsen's big specialty that she's going to bring to the table. You'll learn how to build trust and credibility and authority with your audience, how to batch and systematize your content creation. Then I'm going to be teaching you how to build six different streams of income around your show, how to be profitable while being of service to your audience, and how to generate predictable monthly income with a podcast. So if you're listening and you're like, yeah, this is what I've been thinking about, but nervous to take action on for a while now, now is the time. The three of us, we got your back. We're gonna give you all the hookups that we have in terms of giving you the critical knowledge that you need to launch a show and grow a show to make it purposeful and profitable and a ton of fun. So if you are interested in getting all the details and joining us on September 29th and October 6th, or if you can't join us live, it'll all be recorded. So if you just wanna get the information, which is obviously still gonna be the most critical part that you need, go ahead and go to shamelessmom.com slash pod. There's one other really special bonus to this. We are going to be doing a pop-up Facebook group during the workshop series. And so during that two-week period, you'll also be able to access us during that time in Facebook in order to ask questions and make connections with other aspiring podcasters or people who already have shows as well. So this is going to be really, really valuable to be able to be in conversation and make connections with other podcasters and then ask questions to experts, myself, Nikita, and Rachel. So please go to shamelessmom.com slash pod to check out all the goodies and we'll see you over there. Let's talk about biological moms a little bit. So I actually worked in college. I worked with Child Protective Services and I facilitated visits between children who were in foster care and emergency placements and their biological moms. And so I would go pick up the kids at the foster houses and then drive them to their visits with their moms, sometimes their dads too. And then I would drive them back to the foster care, the house where they were being fostered. And so I got to witness a lot of biological moms' relationships with their kids and what kind of how they interacted when they were working to get their kids back. And I saw a huge range of relationships and how moms were working in, in different capacities to get their kids back. How do you work with biological moms of the kids that you're fostering? And what does that look like for you? You know, as you said, you know, I've had all kinds of moms. But for me, you know, when I was on the street, I felt like people were saying, what a mother, how would she let her child go? But little did they know what was going on at home, you know? The same approach I have towards the moms that, you know, no one just gives a birth to a child and says, I'm gonna just do that or let them be neglected or be, you know, I believe that there are other things that hold them and, and they get lost in as their parents. That also, I believe like fostering a child also includes fostering their families. Like if I can do one thing to help the mom know that, hey, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to judge you, but I'm here to help you so you can have your kid back. So for me, I've always pursued the moms to make sure that I, what can I do 
to help them. So even setting examples as well, you know, I think sometimes, you know, they get to know I'm a single guy with a different accent. They're like, I hope he's not going to kidnap my child. But as they get to know me, they realize that, wow, he loves my kids and he's enough, but also that he pursues me. He sees me. He does not judge me. He sees me that he wants the best for my kid and he wants that unification that it wins them over and you see them want to do more and more to do the best they can to have their kids. And so they need that example, you know, and especially for me, maybe being a male as well, you know, to, you know, kind of embrace both and say, I understand, you know, at 14, I had to go to school for six months to learn how to be the best parent, you know, with all the resources. I have everything possible, you know, for someone who grew up in the system that had never had someone to prepare her to be a mom. I just don't know how I can blame blame her. Or oh, she's growing up from a family where that's kind of what they do. You know, that grandma did the same, the mother did the same, that there was no one to teach her how best to be a mom I can be. That for me, seeing them just love their kids and do the best they can. And two, the society, the world has put them so down that they are ashamed, they feel they feel unwanted, unworthy. It's one thing to feel so as a person, to be at the best place, to also be there for your child. It's so hard to do when you're in drugs, when you're in a family that is abusing as a child. I mean, it's cycle of a million things that happen to these moms that for me to judge them is the least thing I could ever do, but to love on them and encourage them and say, I'll be there. Even if the kids go back, I want to still stay in life with the kids. And I'm in touch with all the kids I've had before. I was just going to ask, so you are in touch with them, with the children and the moms after you're done fostering? Absolutely. Why? Because I earned, not the respect, but I earned the friendship that I had for the mom that I believed in her, but also that I saw a value for her as mom that she would do the best she can to have her kids back. So that support is important, you know. I think the society is quick to throw the stone, but they never know what ha- happens behind the doors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's such a beautiful story and example of leading with compassion and with empathy and really seeing someone for who they are and for what their space in the world has been. Because I think it's so easy to make judgments and not make space for the stories of these moms. And I love how you've given so many great examples of the things that they have been through that got them to this point where they needed to be separated from their children. And then how amazing to have a partnership with a foster parent where you can be commonly working on the goal of reunification Versus I think, you know, I'm sure there's many other foster parents who are passing judgment on parents who are in a tough spot and not able to parent their children for a time. Right. And for me as a single man, I found they're my best tools. So for me to, you know, when the kids are not feeling well or not eating well, to be able to call the mom and say, hey, your son is feeling this way, what should I do? You know, that to give them a little piece of when they can be parents, I can tell you, maybe that was the best decision I ever made to feel the mom from a distance, she can still be a mom. You know, that they, I know what the problem is, but still go to the mom and say, hey, could you help me? He's sneezing, he's not, what should I do? Mm-hmm. And the mom will say, oh man, you just made my day to realize that I'm, I'm their mom and I understand them better than anyone else. I like, yeah, do. And to go to them and say, I need help. Anyway, you could parent together. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. 
Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. Yeah, so much mutual respect. Absolutely. And that has really helped in in every way, shape. Oh my gosh, I love it. So can you talk a little bit about being a single parent as a foster parent and playing the role of the mom, the dad, and in quarantine, probably also the role of the teacher? <laughs> <laughs> the teacher, I've failed for sure. That one I can tell. <laughs> you know, grade one, you know, I've failed, failed, failed. You know, I think for me, one thing I learned was to be vulnerable to the things I cannot do or the things I cannot understand to call my fellow foster moms to guide me, you know, and that has really been helpful to say, hey, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to. I've had two girls, you know, that sometimes I'll say, anyway, could you help me understand how I should approach this or how I should address this? You know, that I knew as a man, it's easy to somehow always feel I can do it all. I know the answers, but truly be vulnerable to my fellow super moms and say, help me. But on the other side, to let them have a peace in, in my kids' lives, you know, the who they play with. You know, if I need counseling sometimes, I go to my fellow, you know, foster moms and say, hey, could you talk to my son? Because I'm not getting there, you know, and give him that a difference of a, a mom talking to a son in some way. And that has really been, you know, so helpful. Again, you know, it takes learning, it takes vulnerability for sure. But when you think about the needs of the child and Think of how we both gendered play and bring it in every way possible you can. That has been absolutely amazing. I Kudos and bravos to my foster moms that are always faithful to take the call, to take him for coffee when they can. Or you have sleepover so they can say, hey, this is how you treat girls. <laughs> this is how you respect their space. This, you know, that I can honor my kids by giving them that, you know, that place. There are amazing moms that can teach them the best boys they can be. And that's been my journey. I love that. And I think that that's how parenting can be its most magical is whether it's fostering or not, leaning on other parents and leaning on other people who have the skills that, you know, I'm thinking like I have a seven-year-old and I was just having a conversation with someone the other day who has a child a little older. And I was talking about like, oh, like, tell me what's coming and tell me what I need to be prepared for. And so that you can do that in the fostering scenario with other foster parents. Oh my gosh, what a gift. Yes, absolutely. And to the moms, you know, the joy of of working with them and and knowing, you know, understanding that I'm a single uh, dad and them embracing me, you know, they don't see me as the other male over there. No, they just see me as a parent that needs those resources and the way they embrace me. And my kids is just, you know, it's, it's amazing and a joy. I love it. Oh, my goodness. What is your long-term goal in fostering and bringing awareness to fostering? Hoo-ha! You know, (laughs) I I mean, I've been an advocate for children all over the world that I really would love to be an advocate for kids here in the United States. If I had an opportunity, you know, it's not easy to find a job. That's all I can do. You know, I have to have a job on the side to be able to be also influence the kids that need help. That I think that's my dream, my desire to one, foster more. Two, adapt more. Three, be a voice, you know, that we know. I wasn't known, but I've been known because someone cared. That my kid had nowhere to go, but because I said, I know where you come from. I know what the difficult you are in. I'm here to help you. And a single, in Oklahoma, I was the only uh, single male foster parent, you know, only single. Wow. 
in Charlotte, I think there's only two. You know, so in some way to be an advocate, to share with more men and, and women and say, you can be single. You don't need, I think we have the traditional way. You've got to be married to have children. You know, I wanted to be married at 25. It didn't come. At 35, it didn't come. I was like, you know what? I can still be a parent. You know, so to encourage, especially men, I feel like most kids, I have the boys, they are longing for a male figure in their lives. So if I can be that voice to say, I've been there, I know they're not looking for the best shoes you can give them. They're not looking for the best dad you can be. No, they're looking for someone who can show up at their game, someone who can say it's hard, but we'll go through it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's my wish that I wish I could have that as a full time job of encouraging and speaking on behalf of those who are unknown. Tell me about Now I Am Known. So you are you have your own website at nowiamknown.com. You have your YouTube channel. Tell us about that. And I think that the title is and the name is deep and profound. So can you share a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. You know, most, you know, I was not known. You know, my mom wasn't known. My mom was, <sighs> she had to go through the, the most horrible abuse through my dad. But the stranger who picked me up, he made us known. He made my mom known that she was special to raise kids that way, that she was special. She she fought for them, that the same of this, you know, the organization I'm starting now, I'm known to really tell the moms, like, we know where you stand. We know the difficult you go through to give them a platform to say, now you're known to a girls and kids and teens who are in a false care system that feel forgotten, feel that no one is hearing them, feel lost, that everyone is kind of turned back on them to give them that little opportunity and the voice to say, no, we understand, we know, and we're here to make you known. So that's really the whole goal of this mission, to let them know that we have not forgotten you. You are known. Now it's the time. We want to make you known. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So you're in contact with your mom, I know. Are you in contact with your dad as well? Yes. You know, I'm in contact with my mom and I've always, you know, made sure that I build them a home. We lived in a small little home, you know, giving them water. You know, we used to fetch water three, four miles away to make sure they don't have to walk that that way. So I've changed a little bit of their life, but not too much, just to give them a little relief from day-to-day life. Yes, and my dad as well. You know, he's what I understood. I've grown to learn. One day I was seven and I passed by my dad. My dad had beaten me and I was just sulking and mad. And I passed by the bar and I heard him laughing so much with his friends. And I was like, wait, I'm sulking. And the man who just beat the crap of me is just having fun. And then I realized, like, wait a minute, I can give him my body, but I should not give him my mental mm-hmm. and heart. You know, and from there, I learned that whatever he says, whatever beatings I got, that I can let him do so, but I will never let him get to my head, you know, and that really helped me to learn to not let my past, to let the worst that I've gone through determine or, you know, in some way get in the way of what the future was, that I've learned to use it rather as a platform to do better, to use it as a way to do better for others as well, but also to see it as an opportunity not to go back but to move forward and in some way I had to go and forgive my dad it wasn't just so he can be a dad no I had already a dad who picked me up on the street but I really wanted to forgive him and let him know like, hey what do you meant for evil really uh, someone meant it for good I cannot let you in some way ruin my life but in so doing that what you did actually turned the best in my life and to yeah. say I forgive you but you will not determine my future Yeah. And that you wouldn't be living this life if you hadn't endured what you endured growing up. Absolutely. I would would never wish for any child to go through what I went through. Right, right. But I would not exchange it either. You know, that it's made me have passion, have empathy, have love and understand the pain of others because I was there. I know it, you know, to have value, especially to our females, to our girls, you know, to moms and say, yes, you know, someone might put you down, but do not let that, you know, for our little girls where sometimes they may didn't, they make them feel they are second class citizens, you know, they don't matter to say, no, no, they should not take your liberty and joy and the future. Do not let them do so. You have a power and and you've got grace in you to walk 
uh, and go beyond that. And to be the testimony that I could not let, I think I felt if I failed, my, my dad would have won. That's how I felt like me failing was him winning because that's what he wanted. And me doing well, I felt like, uh, no, that's, that's not, he can't get to my heart, neither can he get to my head that the future was in my hands. Right. What do your parents think about what your life today? Oh, I mean, my dad, you know, of course, my mom, she loves me to death. But even my dad, you know, I think a few years ago, about 20 years ago, I went back to, you know, I went to see them and he looked in my eyes and he says, you know what, your dad. So they called the man who picked me off street as my dad. He said, you know, your dad has taught me what a father ought to be. I mean, to me, that's all he had to say, you know, Yeah. that your father has taught me what a father ought to be, you know, that for me, just really helped me understand that he didn't know what a father was. And that's for me why I love the biological moms and dads of my kids, you know, that sometimes I'll be the best dad I can be so they can know, hey, this is how fathers treat their kids, you know, for the moms as well, that I can say, hey, I'll walk with you. We will love your kids. We'll do the best we can. That maybe there was never anyone in their lives that ever did that for them. That if I can be that little, not all, but if I can play a part to say, hey, we can love our kids this way. That is the best investment I could have to others. Absolutely. Are you still in touch with the family, the family that raised you after you left home? Yes. You know, most people that I know, they know them as my biological parents. And that's how they loved me, that they never treated me different. They never, you know, they kind of know them as my biological parents. Because, that, you know, from 15, 16 to this day, you know, they've always been the family I get to be proud of, the family I get to visit. They come to United States as well. So everyone knows them as my, you know, I'm truly, they are my parents, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything I ever dreamt to be. They taught me to be a parent. They taught me to love. They taught me to have value in oneself. But also they taught me that I had a potential when I didn't know I had one, you know, that they showed that to me. Yeah. What do you want people listening to consider or know about fostering? And especially if you have any If there's people who are listening who are thinking, hmm, maybe I could be a foster parent, what do you want people to know and how do you want to see more people becoming involved in fostering? You know, I think I had the hurdle I had to fight was one, the traditional parenting. You know, I think we always know, you know, there has to be a mom and dad, but really they don't have to, you know, that we can play both roles, that we can be there for them. And it's never too late. You know, I think at 35, I thought, hmm, there's, I mean, there's no way. But I didn't give up, you know, that there's no time limit. There's no boundaries of how old you are to be a parent, that whatever age, that that is still in your heart, that you can still be, you know, that it's possible we can play a part. And then the other part is that to be a false parent, it's a calling. It's not really a job or calling for everyone that we know not all all of us can be parents, but we can all all do something small. You know, I have amazing women that when I can't figure out what to cook, they help me to teach, hey, here's the best meal for the kids that you can prepare. Well, they're not foster parents, but they are helping me in some way to shepherd and feed my kids. You know, when I cannot make it, you know, sometimes I have kids when I cannot go, that they will run to the store for me and do the shopping list for me. You know, yes, they're not foster parents, but they are playing a role in helping me so I don't get burned down. You know, most foster parents stop or just, it's just too much work and we burn out really quickly. But when we have people that lift us, that are there to, you know, like right now you talking to me, I feel like I just needed an adult, you know, an adult talk to someone because, you know, this whole quarantine, I have a 14 and a seven year old that I have to <laughs> listen to the whole day, you know. So those moments where we, you know, that we call in, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to say we need help. You know, it's really hard, you know, and we live in a world or we work with kids that have so much privacy as well, that you don't give up, that you don't stop calling your other foster mom, you know, your other foster dad and say, I'm not stopping. You tell me what you need, you know, if it's a coffee, a Starbucks coffee that you can have them, don't ask them about kids. Just say, tell me about your life, you know, that sometimes that's all they need that. Yes, we can all be, but we can all play a part in really helping our community, you know, be better kids. You know, I tell people like, you know, when a kid steals in our community, well, maybe we should have 
taking care of that kid where ahead of time. You know, just that in order to have a health community, it's our job to take care of our own within our community. And I don't expect a, a foster mom from California to take care of the kids here in North Carolina, Charlotte. Like, it's my job to say I'll step in. It is hard, to be honest, yes, but it's worth every, every penny, you know. The family that took me and said, they told me one day, I asked, like, what would you want for your legacy? And he looks at me and like, on my funeral, if there's 20 or two kids, I can say he made us feel we were kids and gave us the best we can. He says, that's all I need. Not how many money, how much houses I have, but really that on my legacy day, if one child can say he changed my life, that would be the best I can. And that's the motto I stand for that in life that can I change a life and we can do it in a different way. And for moms who, especially moms, single moms and moms that get take of kids, some, you know, I think sometimes we forget them, you know, but we know they do the hardest job, you know, the hardest job. I cannot tell you how much I respect, you know, moms for the love and the heart they go through and still walk out with a smile. It's amazing. And I wish everyone in the world could have that knowledge and understanding and respect for moms before we can judge them or say this and that, just to say you're special. And so, yes, we can all be, as I said, we can all be false parents, but we can play a part in little ways. Yeah, absolutely. How are you currently showing up as a shameless dad? Being the voice for the kids, not being shy, being vulnerable, you know, and being frank and being honest saying, man, we got to step up, you know, it's not a job that somehow was ordained for women. No, it is our job too, you know, that we take care of them and be there for them and support them as well. That's that's kind of my role, really being a voice and saying, hey, let's go back to the basics. Kids need both parents in every shape form and not be shy about it. I love it. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and connect with you and follow up with you after this amazing conversation? Absolutely. Yes, they can go to our website, nowamknown.com. They'll find our stories and they get to see a little bit of who we are and what we're doing. And there too, they can also follow me on Forced Dad Flipper. So in order for me to be a foster parent, I had to take to be my own boss. So Flipping House was the easiest way to be a dad. Oh, I was wondering. I saw Foster Dad Flipper and I was like, I wonder if that's like because of something special. <laughs> no, you know, so that's where it comes from that I flip houses in order. So, you know, our kids need help. So I can't have an eight to five job, you know, mm. that I needed a job where I can be my own boss, take them to the hospital, take them to the dental, take them to visit their parents, you know, take them to sports. Yeah. Uh, so that's where it comes from. So Foster Dad Flipper is my Instagram handle, but you can also find that in a website, you know, nowamknown.com. Oh my goodness, Peter, this has been an amazing conversation. I know you've inspired other people with your story and you've made us think real long and hard about some really important aspects of parenting and mothering and supporting our communities. And I just, I appreciate you so much. I'm so, again, thank you to David for connecting us because I'm so grateful that we got to have this conversation. And I know that it's going to help other families open their hearts and their homes in new ways that will really, really benefit other communities as well. Well, thank you for, for giving me the opportunity. I know that you just didn't give Peter me, but you give every foster child, every adopted kid a voice to say you matter. So we appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. 
Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.